Hello and welcome back to the Down to the Wire podcast, episode 31. Um, we are coming off the back of an awful lot of football this week because we're in the middle of the Euros. Um, but we're going to do a Formula One podcast. Jack, how are you doing? I'm good. It's been a good week. I haven't had anything to do but watch football. Um, my dark <laughs> horse of Ukraine, albeit didn't really impress against North Macedonia, did put up a good showing against the Netherlands. So I was glad about that. Um, and Italy are doing pretty well, who are my favourites. Um, so oh, so far, and my fantasy team for the Euros is doing phenomenally well. Um, so I, I, I'm feeling good after this week, if I'm honest. How about you? Yeah, good, mate. Um, I mean, I guess the... Um... The, the Welsh uh, part of me is very, very happy. Well, I say the Welsh part of me, I'm fully, I'm fully Welsh. So all of me is very happy with how Wales have been uh, been performing. Um, you know, so, solid performance against Switzerland, and then we just kind of uh, let loose a little bit against Turkey. So it's all looking good now. Um, um, but yeah, and obviously never a bad thing to have a lot of football all, on all in one week, is it? So... Uh, yeah, doing good. But like, as I said, we're going to be talking about the Formula One because um, we did a um, pre-tournament uh, podcast in relation to the Euros last week. If you haven't had a listen, go and have a listen to that. Um, we did like a rundown of all of the groups. I think I'm right saying we'll be doing another one at some point, kind of after the groups are finished, kind of pre-knockout stages. Yes, it should be recorded this um, Thursday and hopefully out to you as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, just keep an eye out for that if you're interested in the football. But for now, we're going to be sticking with Formula One, and we're talking uh, France. We're on a a circuit circuit as opposed to a street circuit, which is quite nice after back to back races on uh, in Monaco and Baku, which are both street circuits. How are you feeling about that uh, change? Going from street back to the back to the old classic yes. on a circuit. Um, I'll be honest, I, I am looking forward to it. As much as I enjoy a street circuit, I mean, I, I don't think anybody really enjoys Monaco, but um, as much as I enjoy a street circuit as in Azerbaijan, because uh, I like the punishing element of drivers, you know what I mean? You can't just get away with going wide all the time and getting penalties like some drivers do on these sorts of circuit circuits, as we say. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm looking forward to it because also it's... It's an opportunity to see the cards really let loose again because it's no longer all about driver skill and how you negotiate corners to not bump your car. It's now just let the tanks loose and absolutely hammer it on some of these straights which feed into sweeping bends. And it's like, who can grip on for dear life? Um, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I mean, particularly, um, as you've said as well, at Monaco, you don't get a lot of overtaking, do you? Um, and hopefully now that we're on a circuit circuit... Um, more overtakes, which is always nice in a competitive motorsport. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, it should be good. And I guess it's, it's kind of one extreme to the other, isn't it? You've gone from kind of, well, I say one extreme, as in Baku is quite a, a fast circuit, but as in you've gone from, you know, street circuits, which are, compared to normal circuits, fairly narrow, to the circuit that they use for the French Grand Prix, which is probably the most open circuit on the calendar, I would say, in terms of oh, runoff, etc., yeah. etc. Et it's like an airfield, isn't it? I think I'm right in six. It's like sorry. an airfield, how wide it is. Yeah, basically. I, I read something yesterday, like the amount of different... Because obviously it's not just the one um, circuit configuration there. They have lots of like circuits within a circuit, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit like Abu Dhabi, I guess. But like they said, the 
number of like different configurations you can have is like in the hundreds apparently, Ooh. which I thought was mental. Um, but obviously for this season for the Formula One, it ha- it's it's the same as what it always has been for the Formula One. Classic. Um, yeah. So as you said, very fast circuit, lots of high speed corners. Um, you know, lots of straights as well. Um, big overtaking opportunities there with the DRS sections. Uh, well, I say, I say sections. You've got the one kind of um, before. Well, you got the one on the home straight, and yep. you that's one DRS zone, and then you've got another one sort of midway th- or in- towards the end of the of the sector, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's kind of in the middle of sector two. Yep. So, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting circuit. And I, I don't know about you, but um, this has always been one of those circuits where I'm kind of a little bit indifferent to uh, what the circuit is. But I don't know, perhaps because we've had the two uh, uh, street circuits in a row, I'm perhaps a little bit more excited than I have been in the past. I go. I mean, it's also been a, a week's break in between, hasn't it? Or maybe even two weeks since Azerbaijan. I can't remember, but it feels a lifetime ago since Hamilton. Now. Yeah, it is two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Since Hamilton pressed the magic button, it does seem a while. Um, but mm. yeah, I, I mean, I, I do like this circuit in a way. Um, I like that there's two DRS zones. I think it just means more overtaking, and I, I think the more overtaking, the more enjoyable it is to watch. Um, mm. Particularly sector two, that that. Well, it's basically two back-to-back straights with a small mini chicane in the middle of it, but uh, you're going to see some properly good overtaking. I mean, we've seen Verstappen sort of maybe cut up Hamilton or properly race him aggressively into some of the turn ones this season where they've been, you know, at the end of straights, sharp turn. I feel like we're going to see that, maybe not at turn one, but at turn eight where it is the end of that first DRS zone straight. Um, and I, I could see mm. Verstappen well and truly cutting up Hamilton again if he's not ahead, or anybody <laughs> for that matter. I think it's a good it's a good spot to dive bomb safely, in a sense. A good spot to dive bomb, like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like I said, the DRS, it, it plays a massive part on the circuit just because the straights are so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you get the, uh, get the slipstream as well. Absolutely. Um, and if anything, sorry, if anything, you go on about the slipstreams. Slipstream? Slipstreams, that's probably right. Um, but uh, this circuit <laughs> is quite exposed, so I feel like the being in behind somebody, as in the slipstream, uh, is going to be quite a big mm. differential on the circuit compared to a circuit like in the street circuits where it's maybe the the fact that you have got all the high-rise buildings quite next to each other, the wind maybe channels a little bit and maybe there's a bit more wind. But by and large, I think these open circuits are the ones where the wind's going to play a little bit more havoc, where it'll, you get a tailwind rather than it all being headwind. Mm. Um, so Yeah, well, like we saw it at Portimao, didn't we? The, um, the Red Bulls seemed to struggle with it most probably, mm-hmm. but, you know, there were a few turns where... They'd, they'd kind of be wobbling around a little bit. I think Mercedes struggled in Bahrain. Um, and like you said, because of the street circuits, they're kind of enclosed. You don't necessarily have that mm. um, factor as much. But the, fr- the the circuit in France is just so open. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's crazy. So, yeah, who, who knows? I mean, I guess we haven't got a lot of elevation change yeah, in France. There's no undulations. It's all kind of on the same level. No, no undulations. No undulations. <laughs> no undulations, correct. There are no undulations. Um so yeah, perhaps it won't be as big a factor, but just the fact that it's so open. Um, I mean, 
I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of track limits. I know we're going to get onto that in a little bit, but um, I mean, I guess you know that that's kind of been one of the main talking points of the season so far, isn't it? Um, you know, we had carnage in uh, Bahrain with you know Hamilton going over, and then Red Bull saying, "Oh, well, if he's going to do it, we're going to do it." Um, and then you know what? Imola, Norris qualified second, then had his time deleted because he'd run wide. Um, but, I mean, obviously there's an element to which the type of circuit will impact the likelihood that somebody's going to push it to the limit. And because the runoffs are so enormous at, uh, at this circuit, you know, as in, I guess there is every opportunity that the drivers can take, they're going to try and push the limit, I think. Yeah. But just because there's so much runoff, the the, the you know is in like the risk reward. For example, yeah. exactly a Baku, if they're pushing it to the limit, as we saw a turn fifteen, I think it was, you push it to the limit, you hit the wall and you're out. Whereas at this circuit, you push push it to the absolute limit and then you just get a little telling drive off. wide and go, <laughs> yeah, and you go again next lap. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that all pans out. Um, well, to to sort of and curb those um, those who like to cut the corners, good <clears throat> Hamilton. Good, good pun. <laughs> they they have <laughs> implemented uh, these small little yellow. Well, I say small little yellow bumps. I mean, we are recording this after P one has taken place, and Bottas is already. Well, he went wide at turn two, um, and to be fair, that's one of the areas where you're going to see the most change. Well, one of the biggest changes in wind direction, in a sense, because you're going from straight. To a small, well, small but fast uh, bend back onto another straight in a sense. So you're carrying the speed. Mm. And we've seen, well, Science did it as well in P1 as Bottas. And both of them went over these curbs, which they've implemented at turn two. Um, and, well, Mercedes complained to the FIA already saying that the, the damage, well, the damage that you take for going wide, uh, at what is relatively i mean you can say you gain time because it is a spot where if you go particularly wide you can carry mm. a lot more speed but they think the aggressiveness of these two um curbs is in a sense not equitable to how much time you would be gaining because they're saying they've the damage which is caused to bottas's car is in the hundreds of thousands because it was a proper you know it was almost like rally car how, how much his car was going up and down yeah. and science span and then went over them like backwards almost and you could see his car go a little airborne for a moment and it was like oh those are there's some pretty serious curbs they've put down and do you do you really think curbs well i know like uh we were saying about azerbaijan and it was like it's quite punishing when if a driver makes mm. it makes the wrong move in a sense and there's there's no forgiving element to that circuit yeah. you know what i mean you go wide you you're not you're not in the race anymore but do you think really big curbs are the way to go about it when i mean just cancelling lap times i mean especially in p1 where in a sense it's a getting to know you um session for a lot of the drivers i mean you think of guys like mm. sonoda schumacher and um mazapin uh, yeah. <laughs> he's Mazawin now after beating Hamilton um, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mazawin oh there's so many ways you could spin that name but uh... that's not that's not that big valid thing um, but yeah after, you see those guys and this is their first time and it's like well you know baptism of fire here you go wide at that circuit yeah, yeah. you know you're doing a lot of damage to your car so I, 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 I'll be honest I, I'd much prefer particularly in P1 
not, you know what I mean? No one's really gaining anything. You're just still learning the track. But even when you're going into qualifying and even the race, it's like, I don't feel like you need big curbs to damage cars to deter people from doing it. Just be stricter on the rules. Say you've gone too wide, you're going to get a penalty. Mm. I mean, I can kind of see why they've gone down this route because I think having a deterrent there, it it forces the drivers to rather than trying to like push the limit push the limit push the limit every time they have really got to think right if i run wide this could damage my car now mm-hmm. um so i i you know as in it from that purely basic perspective i guess it forces drivers to stay within the limits i mean your argument to that could be well because so, did you say the signs span out signs no, signs span at turn one so the wind took him rather than bottas who Through, negotiated oh, yeah. it wrong and Just went wide it. yeah Science physically had spun beforehand, then as he was sort of mm. spinning and going backwards, he went over he, those curbs, which over made them. him throw up in the air almost. Yeah, I mean that, that's you know that's when it it's a bit of a tricky one then, isn't it? Because you know, like Science clearly there hasn't tried to exceed track limits in order to gain an advantage. He's just spun, and you know you could probably argue the same for Bottas. Mm. I've not seen it, but you know he, perhaps he just lost the rear end and he's had to correct, and as a result, he's gone over mm-hmm, the curbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing so it's I not think... a forgiving circuit for the wind because I mean also Vettel span Schumacher span people are spinning a lot so the fact that you can spin and then just because there's yellow curbs on the circuit all of a sudden mm. completely shred the bottom of your car it's like mm. doesn't doesn't seem equitable. I mean I guess for, from from the um, FIA's perspective though they, they probably don't want to have to be in a scenario where they're having to watch 24-7 because it you know a lot happens in a race there's a lot going on mm-hmm. um you know they probably don't want to be having to sit and watch like every single corner are they exceeding are they exceeding are they exceeding um so well, they, they put monitors at different parts of the track like you know what i mean you think the grid the grid positions at the beginning of the race they've mm-hmm. got monitors so it is black and white you have started too early. You are too far forward. You, you know what I mean? Mm. They can work that stuff out. I don't. I feel like with all the money that's in Formula One, they could put little um, sort of sensors on cars that, in a sense, Possibly. you go, these four corners will all exceed at that point and we'll flag it up because that way then, you know what I mean? Mm. There's, I feel like there's ways, in a sense, I feel like it's the FIA almost being lazy, in a sense, not finding uh, an alternative um, to just putting down I big can't... big markers. Yeah. I mean, I kind of agree with that, but then the the issue you're going to have then is that the drivers themselves aren't going to know whether they've exceeded the track limits because mm-hmm. it's a monitor or an invisible thing. Like, let's be fair, as soon as you go over a bump, you probably know about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas if it's like a monitor in on the track itself, um, you know, and I guess it swings and roundabouts. I'd probably agree with you. I was playing devil's advocate earlier. I'd probably agree with you that I would just turn around and say the FIA just need to watch what's happening mm. rather than putting massive speed bumps there um and i guess this is going back to what we said before is in like consistency across the season is in like you know they go to some circuits and they do changes in practice relative to the race and then you've got other ones which are like super strict like they were in imola then you go here and they're like oh well, we're gonna put speed bumps in this one it's like well you know you gotta have a <clears throat> Why is there so much variation between the tactics they use across the calendar? I mean, I I guess the argument would be is because the circuits are changing so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it's to the point where it's significantly damaging the car every time it goes over it, then, you know. But then I guess 
again, you could also argue the other way. If it was a circuit which had like grass or gravel, if you plant your car in that area on grass or gravel, you're possibly spinning out or you're just getting bogged down in gravel. So, But it's not damaging the car yeah. in that scenario, which is the big thing. I feel like a lot of teams True. could live with a, uh, a, yeah. a one-place grid penalty, three-second time penalty for the race or five seconds. You know what I mean? You can live with that. But when, yeah. particularly when you're thinking of the smaller manufacturer, well, I don't know if you call, call, can call the manufacturer that don't make the engine, but teams like Haas, Alfa Romeo, uh, you could say Williams to an extent. Mm. They haven't got an enormous budget. Seen, yeah. so, so it's like no. doing these sorts of mass damage to cars just to teach the drivers mm. how to drive properly. Or sometimes it's even the cars not acting as they want to. And it's like, mm. surely save them a few, Bob. I'm sure they'll take the grid place penalty over that. Because, I mean, especially mm. now that we're talking about shorter sessions, particularly for practice, mm. it's like drivers don't have as much time to get on the tra- track if you're all of a sudden mm. damaging your car. On what you know, I mean, yeah. Bottas's thing was the first lap he went out, it was, and I think um, Schumacher spun within the first two minutes. And it's like, well, if that does some irreparable damage, that's one of his three sessions gone. It's like, well, you know what I mean. Particularly when you're talking about how small time they have now, damage yeah. damage take, plays a much bigger part in the fact that when you have to fix particularly minor things, it will still take a big chunk of your available time. So um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what approach they want to take because I, I guess there's an argument that the current setup is prevention, isn't it? Because now any driver that's going through there is thinking, rather than, right, I need to be on the limit, you need to be thinking, right, I need to not be as uh, brave through this corner and just kind of make sure I don't go on the bumpy speed bumps, but the Verstoppers, as uh, they were once called. Um <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I would probably agree with what you're saying there, as in it seems a little bit excessive, um, particularly as well, like you said, the if there are windy conditions, that's probably one of the areas where you're going to you know, be a bit more wobbly. Um, and if it's a case that if you make a mistake there, it's costing you a significant amount of damage and therefore a significant amount of money. It doesn't seem particularly practical. You know, I just, just thought in my head, I'm not opposed to speed bumps on the inside of corners. But I think on corner exits, I think that's where you don't need them. I understand that's... Because in a sense, on the inside of corners, that's where teams are cutting corners. And it's like, well, in those situations, it's clear as day, in a sense. You you, you can't cut a corner, in a sense, because of something going wrong. That's you taking yeah, a liberty. Yeah. But on corner exit, that's where you can lose the car. That's where another car might be beside you and you're trying to get out of the way. It feels... Um, I just feel like for corner exits, they probably shouldn't be. But I can I can almost understand them for insides. I mean, particularly when you think, was it um, when Verstappen overtook Kimi Raikkonen on the last lap? Was that in USA? Yeah. I can't rec- yeah. yeah uh, and that yeah. one, he did it on the inside. And that very much was like, okay, well, if you're just doing sensors on those, you're never going to be 100% over it in a sense. But, no. but you... Because you're on the convenient side of it, you, you can always sort of just about keep a tyre mm. on. So I can understand it maybe putting it there to say don't go cutting the corners mm. because we haven't got sensors which adequately can mm. stop that. But corner exits, I still don't understand why you've got enormous curbs. Well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that on a track like, it, I think it depends on the track, doesn't it? Like this circuit, you know, if you can carry a lot more speed through a longer route, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. then that's going to save you time, isn't it? So that's why they probably put it on the outside of corners. Because basically, if you go through turn one and then run wide through turn two, you can probably line yourself up for turn three a lot better mm-hmm. than if you stay to the the limit itself. 
Um, but yeah, I, t- ultimately, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it in this scenario. I think the argument in this case would probably be, well, is it a little bit excessive? Possibly. Um, will it prevent other drivers from doing it now? Almost certainly. Then you could possibly argue that it has been, okay, it's been costly for a couple, but on the whole now, for the race weekend, it could be effective. It could be effective. But I, I think I agree with you, it's a little bit excessive. Cool, cool. Do they have them on do they have them on any of the other corners out of interest? On this circuit? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. They they got them quite quite often around the circuit. To us on most corners. Okay. Um, but it's only particularly mm. turn two was a big one because that's where mm. it's such a sharp turn and you try to maintain as much mm. speed. Uh, so that's one spot and uh, turn eight I think uh, a few drivers have clipped them which to be fair it's at the end of straights I don't think anybody's taking the liberties yeah. in that sort of mid-section uh, you know in the middle no, of areas no. or the really windy bits um, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, just sort of going on to some other elements of this circuit um, sort of that turn three four and five I feel like feel like there's going to be yeah. an incident there in the race, just particularly on the first lap. <laughs> it's three switchbacks in a row. It's like someone's, someone's mm. going to get pinned. Someone's going to end up getting hit by somebody. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is as well, is like, okay, you know, the straight is straight, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got that kind of fairly slow, well, I say slow turn one. It's not really that slow. I mean, like the, the map we've got there almost paints it as like a 90 degree angle, but I, I don't think it's No, quite it's as, not as abrupt. Uh, or at least you can go from the right hand side to the left, so you are maintaining. A yeah, lot you can it. kind of sweep. You can kind of sweep through, can't you? So you can kind of go f- deep-ish into turn one, and then kind of bring yourself back around for turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and I, so I feel like at that point you're still going fairly quick, and obviously at the start everyone's kind of bunched together. So yeah, I feel like three, four, particularly five as well. That becomes a bit of a pinch mm-hmm. point then, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I do also like. Yeah, I guess. Oh, go on, go on. You carry on. That. Well, I mean, I guess that that is good in one sense because it kind of balances out, you know, the kind of well, almost all of sector two and then part of sector three as well, which are almost just straight, like completely yeah. straight. So well, sector three, I think, is probably one of the more <clears throat> challenging sectors for for gaining time in a sense because it's not like turns one, <coughs> well, sectors <coughs> one and two, where you are just going to the extremities of the track, all the way to the left, all the way to the right, just trying to you know, maintain yeah. as much speed as possible. Sector three, the driving line or the most optimum for the speed is sometimes right in the centre of the track and trying to find where yeah, it is, yeah. particularly as they've got some banked turns around there or slightly banked. Um, you, you, you see a lot of the cars, they'll be like, well, you'd be wondering why on earth are they taking that line? And it's like, because the quickest line is yeah, is yeah. in the centre of the track, which just seems very strange for somebody. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to be... Yeah, it's, it's going to be... It. It's quite unique, isn't it? As in like, I guess the default is either kind of start wide cut across the corner and then run wide again so you're mm-hmm. kind of almost cutting across the corner but like you said it's not it's not like that, in that very area. often that you have like a, a corner where the optimal line is through the middle mm-hmm. and i guess in some ways it makes it interesting because then there's space on the inside and the outside for the cars behind you know do you risk chucking your car up the inside on on the potentially the well, it's know, a good overtaking quick line? spot now isn't it you know what i mean that's yeah exactly drivers who would take the most optimal line usually are going to be getting cut up by drivers who aren't just so they can get ahead and it's like oh yeah. that balance because then also you've got to think that the driver in front will then go well I'll block off mm. that sort of place where they can undercut yeah. me but at the same time the other driver's then gaining time on them because they can take mm. the most optimal route it's, 
it's going to be a really yeah. fine balance, particularly in the race heading into a DRS sector, which is the final straight. Um, so, well, I was about to ask: is that DRS zone activation point? Or detection, I yep. should say. Is that further back than it has been in the past? Do we know? I do not know if it is, but uh, I am surprised it is as far back as it is because for those yeah, who that, that haven't got the map, it's uh, before turn 14, which is before turn 15, which is before the straight. So there's two turns, <laughs> effectively, before the actual DRS zone is where the detection zone is. Um, but I can understand why it's sort of there because you are maintaining a lot of speed around that corner. And I guess, yeah, do you really yeah. want to have a detection zone right before the turn, which is before the straight, where you find people just, in a sense driving overly quick, Lunch, breaking yeah, really sharp, and then they're compromised going into that straight. Where, you know what I mean? By having it a little mm. bit earlier, perhaps then it allows drivers to correct and be able to actually go at that yeah. uh, DRS at a correct angle and well, be overtaken. As a result, it means that kind of turns 11, 12, and 13, I know this sounds like a little bit of a dull statement, but because of the nature of the corners is kind of a fairly important sector then in terms of obtaining the DRS, yeah. you know, because it's kind of sweeping... You have really got to be on the money in terms of where you're putting the car to ensure that you get DRS from the car in front heading into turn 14. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's going to, I think sector three is a, it's a good, that is where the qualifying times are going to be made and lost. I mean, obviously, certain teams yes. won't be able to compete, particularly through sector two, in where it's all speed, straight. Yeah. But if you're, you know, when you're talking, the top teams, yeah, Mercedes and Red Bull, it's going to be decided on sector yeah. three, I think. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with you on that. Um, what are your thoughts on the circuit in general? Do you like it? Would you like to see it remain in F1 going into next season? Um, I mean, to be honest with you, like I said earlier, I've, I've always, I guess I've always been a little bit indifferent to um, the, the circuit in France, to be honest. Um, I don't know, just because it, I think in my head, I'd always seen it as like quite a straight circuit and Again, dull statement. There are lots of straights. Um, but then, obviously, Sector 3 is a bit, you know, mixes it up. And kind of the end of Sector 1 as well. So, there is a there is a bit going on. I think it definitely benefits from having had the two street circuits immediately yeah. before it. Because you're kind of going from... And, again, I know Baku has, like, a lot of straights. But it's kind of stop-start, isn't it? It's in, like, you do a straight and then you have a nice... Well, there's no sweeping bends. You another straight yeah. and then... Exactly, whereas this one, it kind of flows a little bit better. So um, I'm quite looking forward to it, to be honest. Yeah, it should be good. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's got it's definitely got its place in the calendar, I think. Um, like I said, it, I think it certainly benefits from having had the two street circuits before because you're kind of getting extremities, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Good, 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 good. Uh, going on to the sort of drivers uh, in a sense and uh, what we think is going to be happening in the race um, Red Bull do seem to have been a few steps ahead of Mercedes in the two street circuits mm. we just had yeah. with the circuit sort of being more well have longer straights and more of them do you think uh, and also high speed corners for that matter do you think Mercedes was mm. sort of being a better shot of winning this race because they have been quite drastically out of the races yeah. in the other two I, I think so. I mean, I'm not saying that Mercedes are going to walk away with it. I, d I don't think that's going to happen for the rest of the season. But, I don't know, like when you look at the races we've had so far, as in Bahrain, it was close between Mercedes. As in, I would have said that Bahrain was fairly even in terms of, uh, you know, the speed of the cars. Um, Imola, Mercedes did better. Um, 
Spain was fairly close again, but I think Mercedes just about edged it. I think it's been pretty clear that the street circuit, the Red Bull, is much better than the, the Mercedes. So I think it'll be more balanced then, let's put it that way. Um, Fair enough. Isn't I think looking at the, like again, you know, Azerbaijan, you were looking at some of the practice sessions, I think at one point Mercedes were 12 and 16 in practice, and you were looking at it and going, oh my goodness, like that's so, that's, that's rough. But, so do you, you think know, Mercedes will we'll just sort of happens. get back onto a level pegging rather than being quicker yes. than the Red Bull this weekend? Um, maybe marginally quicker, yeah. but not, you know, as in I don't think we're going to be like Mercedes of last season who just kind of like 30 seconds ahead kind of scenario. Fair. Um, I, I think it's just a case that perhaps it'll be more level pegging, Mercedes slightly quicker. Um, and as a result then, I, do, I think the... I think in the street circuits, they've had to do things with strategy that they wouldn't normally do in order to try and pl- pl- like place themselves in mm-hmm. a good position. Like, for example, in qualifying, they basically sacrificed Bottas, didn't they? Yeah. Poor bloke. They, just, so, just so they could get Hamilton on the front row. Um, you know, like they gave him in tow, didn't they? Um, so, you know, I don't think you're going to be seeing that sort of scenario again because I think they were doing that literally just to be, like, within distance of Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Not, not you know, just because Red Bull was so dominant at the street circus. But, I, you know, I don't think we're going to be seeing that again. Um, I hope I'm not made to eat my words on that one. But, um, yeah, we'll see We'll see what happens. Fair, fair. And I guess the thing is as well, because it's quite a fast... Um, sweeping circuit I think that probably would favour the Mercedes over the Red Bull I think the Red Bull has you know probably got better downforce um, in the perhaps the slower corners whereas Mercedes have the uh, I think they have the slight power advantage with the unit not as much as they have done in the past obviously but um, yeah we'll see what happens Um, obviously Perez won in Azerbaijan good for him do you think uh, mm-hmm. this will be more the same or do you think Bottas will I mean are you saying the Mercedes will be quicker in a sense but now that Perez seems to have properly gotten to grips with his car I mean arguably you could have said he was faster than Verstappen outright it was just the pure fact that he had a slower pit stop which yeah. is the reason he was behind do you think uh, with him finally getting to grips with this car that this could be another two Red Bulls towards the front and just one Mercedes battling with them or do you see Bottas sort of being a little bit more in the conversation now that we are out of the street circuits. Mm. Um, or is Bottas I just mean, rubbish still? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I think definitely with Perez, we've had, you know, like last week, uh, last week, last race was a very convincing performance. You know, he's had a few unfortunate things with um, tyre failure. Uh, tyre failure? Uh, sorry, I can't speak right now. He had an issue at uh, Bahrain, didn't he? We had a problem with his car, yeah. so we had to start from the pit lane. He had a bit of a stinker at Imola. Um, I mean, you know, I think that race was important for Perez, really, to kind of put himself in that kind of, like, I'm here sort of scenario, you know, as in he's, he's got a podium. Um, and like you said, had it not been for a slightly dodgy pit stop, you could argue that he possibly would have been first anyway. Um, Bottas really needs a good performance, as in the, the guy has been quite unlucky, but I don't know. He, he could, to be honest with you, I feel like Bottas could probably do with winning a race fairly soon. <laughs> yeah, I think that would just help. Just because it's, yeah, I know, again, dull sta- it, a dull statement, I know, but in terms of yeah, his confidence, because yeah. I, 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 it must be shot at the moment. Um, um, and, you know, perhaps what we're seeing now is that Bottas has been shown up when he's not got by far the best car. Um, 
And I guess this is going back to what we've said previously, you know, like we've said, oh, should he be replaced, etc., etc. Are there better drivers there? And I, I, you know, we've the argument would have always been, well, if Hamilton's winning and Bottas is finish, finishing second, ultimately, can you really ask for much more? No. But now no. that Mercedes haven't got the most dominant car, and I think back, back who you can probably write that off just purely on the basis that um, Mercedes effectively just sacrificed him in final qualifying just to get Hamilton in a good position. And Monaco, he um, decided to shred his wheel. Um, so, you know, he has been unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has had a few unlucky ones. But then equally, when there have been times where he could have had a good performance, he hasn't. So, you know, I, I can't remember which race, race it was, but he just got stuck. I think it might have been Imola, actually. He just got stuck behind um, a car for it. Well, and he was fighting for position with George Russell. Yeah. Like... Well, do, do you think, Last speaking of George Russell, do you think he could potentially be a mid-season swap with, well, I don't know about with Bottas, no. but you, you don't think you I, don't think Mercedes would I, take I drastic think, measures if they were like... No, I, 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 don't think, I don't think Mercedes would do that. Like, if you look at how things go as well, generally, the only team that ever seemed to do a mid-season swap is Red Bull. Mm-hmm. No, no other teams have really done a mid-season swap. Um, not, not in recent years, anyway, unless, you know, there's been, like, um, driver injury or something like that, or, like, a driver's had COVID or whatever. Like, generally, driver swaps don't happen mid-season, so I don't think... and I, I just don't see what the benefit would be in terms of, you know... Well, they need to finish first. Help. Well, they do need to finish first, but I don't think chucking... George Russell into the car is going to be, you know, and like ultimately then what do you do? I, yeah, I, I just I just don't see what what I don't see them doing it to be honest with you. That, that that's not how Mercedes roll. Uh, I think they would uh, sooner sooner stick with him for the rest of the season and then switch it up. I think that's passive by them if season. I'm honest. I think they should. I just I just can't see the logic in maintaining with Bottas with how poor he's performing. I know he gets the odd raceways towards the front, but that's that's the thing. We look at those sparks where he's towards the front and we go, oh, there's optimism. But that's the thing. They're just sparks. There's no consistent finishing in the front. It's always 10th, 3rd, 10th, 3rd. You know what I mean? It's nothing in between. It's never mm. sort of coming from behind to overtake a few. I mean, you think of um, Hamilton, was it Port... Port- no, it wasn't Portimao. Uh, whichever circuit it was where he went off. I, I always lost on those sort of middle of, the- <laughs> middle of the season ones. I'm not sure what circuit it is. But when he went off, managed to get that red flag because of the Bottas incident. He then managed Emily. to... Yeah, Emily. He went, managed to fight his way through all the way up to second. And Bottas was in 10th that entire time and he never overtook anybody and... You know what I mean? It's like yeah, you're just yeah, seeing mean, those it, other it drivers worth... who had good, good. You know I mean, you think of Vettel and Perez; mm. they've started suboptimally in qualifying, and then mm. managed to salvage a podium on quite a few occasions. But Bottas mm. just does not seem to have that in him. I agree with you, but what you got to remember is that Imola as well. When by the time the sta- um, Hamilton was starting to overtake people, he did have DRS, whereas mm. Bottas was doing it on a slightly damp circuit, so DRS hadn't been enabled. Okay. So I think that there is that to consider, consider, and if, for example, Mercedes did do the swap now, and then George Russell comes in, and then he really struggles, what do you do then? Like, do you go back to Bottas? Do you stick with George Russell? I, I mean, this this is. I get what you're saying, but how much worse can that... Russell be in a sense? Because Bottas isn't picking up anything really at the moment. I know that some of them's due to unfortunate circumstances, but by and large, Bottas. Bottas isn't getting them anything really of 
value for this constructors championship so i don't even if even if it doesn't work whether you stick i'd much rather be in a situation where i'm sticking with russell being as he's a young driver who by and large has shown a lot of promise and you know could end mm. up being a good one than just sticking with bottas for the sake of it when you know mm. i mean I, I don't think it's uh a hidden fact that he's probably not going to be there next year and Russell's going to be in that seat. I don't see the harm in a sense of doing it now because even if you find out then that Russell isn't great it's like at least for next season you, you know where you're going. Whilst if you stick with Bottas for this one then you go to Russell and he's rubbish in that one it's like well that's two seasons down the drain. Well but then again you know it's I think there are other things to consider as well like for example okay I know it was unfortunate how it ended up for Hamilton but there's the potential that Mercedes could have got a win last week uh, keep saying last week, last race, with George Russell being the driver as he is, would he have been in, would he have quite happily just provided Hamilton with that toe in, in the final qualifying session and effectively sacrificed himself? I, I'll be I'm honest, sure as a would, second driver, I can understand that, I, I think it wouldn't be hidden that he also Russell would be the second driver in that scenario. So I think he'd have to sort of take it on the chin, that one. But in a sense, I don't think Mercedes just sacrificed Bottas. They did intend to do him on the second run, but we're just unfortunate there was a red flag. So I, f- I feel like they'd still give both drivers an opportunity to do well. I just think, obviously, Hamilton would get the preferential treatment for you know scenarios where you think mm. a red flag may be coming out, for instance. Um, yeah. I just I just think partway through the season, I feel like this is quite, um, quite high risk, I think. And like for, for me... You know, Red Bull did it, and look how that turned out for them. With you know, Gasly's getting better results in the Alpha. T- and the thing is, you know, Red Bull do it, but they have the benefit of having a sister team where they can just swap people willy nilly. Mercedes don't have that benefit. Mm-hmm. I know they can do it with George Russell because he's, you know, managed by Total Wolf. But after that, anyone that Mercedes want to get in realistically, they're going to have to go and do it like any other team would. So I think it is a slightly different scenario. That's true. I, to be honest, though, I, I think even though it would be inconvenient, I wouldn't be surprised if some drivers, I mean, you said Gasly, for instance, if Mercedes came a knock and I'm sure he'd go, yeah, I'm off. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I know. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think there's still options there. But the longer you leave mm. it, those options, I mean, you think of uh, Ocon, he just got a three-year extension at Alpine this week. Um, so, you know what I mean? Drivers mm. get snapped up, in a sense, to long-term deals and... Who knows? Alpha Tari could say to Gasly, unless you sign with us now for a long period, we're not going to stick with you in a sense because you want that bit of security about them. Um, mm. But yeah, these are sort of down the line issues, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, sort of going back a little bit in the pack, um, Leclerc for Ferrari says he expects it to be a sort of back to reality race this one uh, after two consecutive polls for him what do you think mm. they can be at all as competitive with without the sort of street circuit but also the fact that these straights there's so many of them and they're so long well i i think it will be back to reality to be honest i mean you only have to look at azerbaijan last week i keep saying that last race i think if you um thanks mate I appreciate it. Um, you only have to look at Azerbaijan last race, as in, I think I was certainly surprised. I think you were surprised as well at how quickly Leclerc basically just got driven past. I think it, it was without DRS as well yeah. that Hamilton got him, wasn't yeah. it? So, <clears throat> you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think it may be a bit of a back down to earth with a bump for Ferrari. Um, yeah, I. I don't really know what else to say in relation to that, yeah. to be honest. I think, um, 
you know, like when you look at when you look at how pole happens in Monaco, you know, okay, like Leclerc had the fastest time at the point he crashed. Um, but, you know, Verstappen was still to go. So you'd assume that had Leclerc not crashed, he would have got pole at Monaco, Verstappen. Um, and, you know, last time around, Leclerc was very fortunate to have had a toe from both Hamilton and Bottas. So I feel like there's an element to which... Um, not artificial because obviously the Ferraris were still quick, but I think the the, the pole positions flattered them a little bit realist relative to the pace of the car. That's fair enough. So I think I think that this, like I said, this this race may be a bit of a back down to earth with the bump. What what are, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I do agree. I don't think Ferrari will be anywhere near challenging for quali or the race uh, this week I, mm. I'd be honest I would be surprised to see them go behind both the McLarens and the Alpha Tauris. Um just think the Alpha Tauri have finally figured out what they're doing with Gasly in terms of strategy rather than putting him on suboptimal plans um, so, yeah yeah so yeah yeah I see Ferrari falling back <laughs> um, yeah. speaking of McLaren uh they did sort of fall off the pace a touch. I know Norris got a third in Monaco, but I mean Danny Rick finished twelfth and ninth uh, in the two races previously. So they're not they're not quite firing on all cylinders as they were previously. Do you think that's the case of it just being the street circuit factor, or do you think, in a sense, Ferrari and AlphaTauri have sort of caught up to them in terms of pace and street smarts in a way? Well, I don't really know to be honest, because obviously Danny Rick has been struggling all season anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's tricky to say. I mean, I guess with the street circuit, I feel like qualifying is so important. You know, as in if you don't qualify well, then generally, unless you have a, an outstanding performance or you have a little bit of luck or you you know your strategy pulls it out of the bag, you are gonna, you are gonna be struggling. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of opportunity for natural overtaking. Um. I mean, yeah, I mean, AlphaTauri seem to, like you said, they seem to have got their act together a little bit. Um, but I don't know whether they are at the, you know, as in this time around, you know, when you've got a lot of straights, as in McLaren have the the Mercedes power unit, which, although not perhaps as dominant as it has been in past seasons, is still, I would say, slightly the better power unit to be running. Um, you know, is that going to pay dividends in terms of the fast straight, well, the long straights in the fast corners. Um, but then, you know, as in AlphaTauri really seem to have pulled it together, so perhaps they're more level pegging than they certainly have been um, up, up to, you know, this point in the season. Um, I think it's probably more a case that AlphaTauri have caught up rather than McLaren have regressed. Um, Fair enough. And like I said, I, f- I feel like with Ricardo, I think it's more a case that that's kind of where he's been finishing all season anyway. So I think the only one you're really looking out at or looking out for is Norris to see where he kind of slots in now. Does he kind of pick up from where he left off prior to the uh, you know the street circuit, or does he kind of stay where he is? In which case, I think you could truly say that AlphaTauri have caught them up. That's fair enough, that's fair enough. You did mention Danny Rick there, um, not doing particularly well. Sonoda's probably another who, despite having a little bit of promise at the beginning, hasn't quite delivered uh, 
the bacon mm. for Alpha Tarriers of yet. I mean, he now sits only above the Alpha Romeo, Haas and Williams drivers in the standings, um, yeah. which isn't really a good spot to be in when your teammate's so much further up the rankings or standings. Um, do, do you think, I mean, we know the sort of relentless nature of the Red Bull teams. Um, do you think, uh, mm. I forget his name, the guy who runs Red Bull, uh, not not Horner, but the uh, Mar- Markle? Helmut Marko. Helmut Marko. Do you reckon he's going to be quite forgiving with Sonoda in a sense? Or do you think he's going to be expecting a little bit better results from him uh, so far? Um, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to give a little bit of leeway because it's his first year in Formula One. Um, I mean, I think the thing that doesn't help Sonoda is that he seems to... And, it's funny, like when I'm pretty sure, like when he got his good results in the first couple of races, like I said, oh, you know, he seems like he knows, like I don't know, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, but nowadays, like Sonoda just seems to kick off a lot. Yeah. Like um, I think he just needs, to, and that seems to be part of his character. I think he just needs to perhaps just chill out a little bit. <laughs> um. Because yeah, I, I I don't know. I think you've got to give him a little, like I said, a little bit of leeway. Um. And, yeah, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I mean, I feel like there is an element to which I feel like Gasly is probably exceeding expectations with the car that he's got rather than that is where AlphaTauri are at, to be honest. Like, okay. realistically, you would never expect an AlphaTauri to be on the podium. Um, and I know there were exceptional circumstances, but, you, you know, you... McLaren will be looking at that and kind of saying, well, that's not how it should be. Again, Ferrari, you'll probably be looking at that and going, right, that's where we kind of need to be. Um, and as good as the Alvatore as a car is, I think that Gasly is exceeding expectations. But I think as a result then, kind of paints Sonoda in a slightly less positive light. Um, you know, because, you know, like we you, you've said, realistically, Alvatore are ahead of Alpha, Haas and Williams. You know, would you have them ahead of Aston Martin and Renault on outright pace? Yeah. I'm not sure you would, potentially. <laughs> I said, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, you would? Yeah, you? I would. But, yeah. Really? Yeah, it's a bit about the car. I think it's flying, I do. Just, yeah, I think it's a really good car. I think uh, being the sister team of Red Bull helps. I think the Honda Power unit is paying dividends, in a sense. I think it's quicker than the Renault. Um, and I don't think Aston Martin have the technical savvy to make a car quick enough to compete. You know what I mean? They, they, their entire performance is based on what parts they buy from Mercedes and what minor tweaks they can make because they, I mean, by, they are a decent team. They have been, but I feel like there's a little bit of an over-dependency on Mercedes now in regards to what they do. Mm. I mean, you sort of give up some of your... I don't know what the right term here is, but when you're not building your own parts, you know, for everything, uh, rather than just mm. sort of just the engine, which you weren't doing, in a sense, you you lose the sort of ability to edit things because you don't 100% mm. understand how things work. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of AlphaTauri, if you imagine that, you know, Gasly had stayed at Red Bull and then AlphaTauri's potential partnership would have been Albon and Sonoda... Yeah, that's not quite to as me promising. then. Yeah, I got what you mean. No, that's what I mean. Is I'm not saying that it's all because of Gasly, but I feel like that combo of Gasly and a pretty good car relative to where they should be, I think that kind of inflates 
how good Alpha Tauri are as a team, perhaps a little bit. How how you know, um, good would you say Gasly is in terms of not saying it to rank all of the drivers now, but I'm mm. assuming you're putting Verstappen and Hamilton as a top two, and where where are you sort of fitting Gasly in amongst that sort of Norris, Leclerc, Sainz, Ricardo sort of equation? Well, or even other I mean, it's difficult to say. It's difficult to say, isn't it? Because again, for a, a, as good as AlphaTauri were at Azerbaijan, they have had some stinkers this season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, is it a case that that's because of the car, or is that because the drivers made a mistake, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? So, I mean, if you're looking in terms of that, you know, like the younger drivers on the grid, like if you're looking at Norris, um, Sonoda, uh, George Russell, you, and then you include Gasly in that. I mean, you'd have to have Gasly probably as the top. Yeah, probably the top driver in that little group of drivers, wouldn't okay. you? Um, you know, as in, as good as Norris has been, like he's in a McLaren. Ultimately, he's yeah, he's with McLaren, so you'd expect him. She's saying that, Gasly's whereas... the third best driver. You think of the circuit? Oh, I wouldn't say he's the third best driver. I think mean, that's that's a little bit. Oh, okay. I think you'd probably have Sergio Perez out of him, wouldn't you? Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I would say so. I think Perez has attributes which make him good in a sense he can maintain his entire life. But I think uh, if someone were giving me a driver for outright pace, I think I'm probably more inclined to sway towards the Gasly persuasion. But that might just be... But then, but then you know, we did say that Perez probably would have been first outright last race had it not been for... Yeah, but he's in the Red Bull. Slightly dodgy pit stop. I think that's all the Red Bull I do. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh. Yeah, maybe not all, but... But then, he was quicker than, but, then that, but then he was quicker than Verstappen. Yeah. So... Well, I, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, I'm contradicting myself now, aren't I? Oh, it's a tricky one. That you are. Truth, truth be told, boy. though, if I, if I were making a team right now, I'd probably be looking at Verstappen and Gasly as uh, two drivers I'd want. Headlining it. Well, I'd like Hamilton, I mean, Red Bull did have that, and then they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. So <laughs> that is not ideal I, for them. Oh, I, I still, I still don't understand that decision. I'll be honest. Uh, just, oh, it was too brash. Anyway, too brash. Very brash. Mm. Very brash. Um, yeah, leaving that sort of conversation aside, uh, and just looking at Vettel, really. I mean, he's managed. Uh, I think I I've put in you that he got he had the most overtakes in both races uh, the last two races, but that isn't true. I think Perez got more in Monaco, but he I think he had the second most in Monaco at the very least. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, I think he finished sixth and then second last week. Uh, he's had two phenomenal races in a row. Do you think that's all down to strategy, or do you think uh, the Aston Martin has turned a, turned a corner in terms of its performance? Um. I, I wouldn't say it's solely down to strategy. I mean, v- Vettel has been... I mean, both uh, times, to be fair, they have opted for the let's start on the harder tyre and go longer and then... You know yeah. I mean? um, well, I mean, obviously, it, it plays it plays a part, doesn't it? But, you know, I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I just fancy Vettel has looked a little bit more comfortable in the car in the past couple of races. Um I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens now, again, that we're at a more kind of traditional Formula 1 scenario, I guess, in terms of it, rather than it being a street circuit, um, you know, on a, on a a designated track rather than just streets. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But, you know, I think, um, I think Vettel has looked more comfortable. I think, you know, when you compare him to Stroll, his teammates, you know, I think the... the Whereas at the start of the season you would have had Stroll ahead, I feel like now it's probably about 50-50 in terms of driver performance. So I think Vettel has definitely stepped his game up. 
Um, yeah, who knows whether they can maintain it. We'll, we'll have to wait and see on that one, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Shall we move on to some predictions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, the scores before Azerbaijan, I know we've sort of let this slide slide a touch, but uh, it was 14 to me and 15 to you. Um, mm-hmm. At Azerbaijan, we both incorrectly guessed the winner and poll, uh, so there's no points awarded yeah. there. And then for overtakes, I put Leclerc, who lost three positions, and you put Alonso, who gained two. So the new standings are I'm on 11 and you were on 17. Which is uh, oh, well, there we go. Um, well, in a sense, because we, we we seem to be rubbish at doing the winner and the poll, because I don't think we've had it for four consecutive weeks now. I thought no. let's uh, change it up a touch. Instead of doing a winner, we're going to do a top three. If you get the correct, well, if you get any of the correct drivers, uh, well, not any. For every correct driver you get is a point. If you get that driver in the correct position, it's three points for that in particular driver. Oh, right, okay, so like if you said Hamilton was on pole and then he comes third, you still get a point? Ye- yes, so for instance, like, like for instance, okay. I'm predicting for this race it's going to be Verstappen first, Hamilton second, Perez thir- uh, third. If it ended up that Verstappen won, then Hamilton was third and Perez was second, I'd get three points for the Verstappen pick and just one point each for the Hamilton and the oh, Perez okay. because they were both in the top three, but they were in the incorrect position. Um, so yeah, yeah, that is my pick for the top three: Verstappen first, Hamilton second, Perez third. What is yours? Mine is Hamilton first. I'm I'm back in Bottas now, Ooh. putting my money where my mouth is, and then Verstappen third. Fair, 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 fair. I think uh, Mercedes is going to have a little bit of a cover for the books. Yeah, well, to be honest with you, I, I'm I'm just saying that in the hope that Bottas isn't horrendously unlucky again. <laughs> Because the guy, the past two races has just been uh, thrown to the wolves a little bit, I think. I think this is the third time that you're going to have picked the same pole sitter. I don't know if you were aware of that. Um, is it? I think this is the third time you've said this individual. Who are you putting for, bol- for pole? Uh, Bottas. Who's Bottas, sir? <laughs> yeah, I'm Again, pretty sure I'm this is your third time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it just purely because... I. In, in hope that he gets pole. I got a feeling just for his own confidence. I, I got a feeling the other two times you've put him at pole were the ones where he crashed out with Russell and uh, last week where he finished tenth. But oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll be honest, I'm not as good because I've just put Verstappen every week and somehow he's uh, managed to escape first position on the qualifying each time. I am going Verstappen again. It's got to happen at some point. Okay. <laughs> um, and who are you putting for overtakes? One of the big differentiators so far. Uh, I'm putting Vettel. That's fair. He's had two good ones in a row, and I'm going to go for Perez, mm. who's perhaps just just outdone him for the last two races. But uh, yeah, should be interesting to see what happens. We shall wait and see. And that brings us to the end of this podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Um, as always, if you're listening on Spotify or YouTube, why not give us a follow or subscribe? Um, as we said, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. I think we're also going to be doing a... Uh, a Tour de France uh, episode as well. That is correct. Um, and we shall be joined by a guest for that, so you'll have to wait and see who that is. Um, but, uh, yeah, as always, we're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, um, Breaker, Pocket Casts. I think that's all of yeah. them. Um, Jack, pleasure as always, and we shall speak to you all soon. Mm.